really, really honored to be able to share with you this morning. Um, we are in our fourth, fourth um, message on the Magnificent Seven, which is the seven I am statements that Jesus made um, about who he is and, and, and who he is to us and to the world. So this morning, I'm going to be um, talking about the statement where he said, I am the light of the world. And remember that you can follow along on version. The scriptures are there. My points are there. If you want to, you just go to uh, more to events and you'll see View Church Millington will come up and you can save your notes that way. Just remember to press save. I did that for the first few weeks, forgetting to press save. If you actually want to save your notes, you have to press save. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you know, I was thinking a lot about this this um, statement that Jesus made for quite a few weeks, I actually asked Jason if I could preach on this, because this is so personal to me. I'm the light of the world. And as you think about it, it's actually um, interesting um, how many people don't understand that statement. And um, just to go back a little bit, okay, in today's world, right, that we are living in right now, full of modern technology, we are so used to things like having our own computers, like right on our phones, this, this size, okay? We have access to cell phones, to um, instant messaging, to video, to video calling, you know? When I was a child, none of that existed. Actually, when we first got married, only some of that existed. I remember Jason going on a missions trip to Mozambique where he had to wait until he had access to one of these like um, massive phones. I don't know what you call them. Like a, no, but like it was not a normal landline, like, like one of these special things um, just for him to make contact with me. I think for that entire trip, we had contact twice. Um, if you think about it now, if you went to Mozambique, he'd be able to video call me. Like, no problem, you know? So it's amazing how much things have changed. And, um, but the thing is, is that we can hardly remember what life was like without those things. So even though I didn't have it as a child, and I didn't have it as a teenager, and I didn't even have it as a young adult, I can't even remember. I, I, I think to myself, what would life be like without um, that technology? But one thing that I can only imagine would be very difficult for us to imagine living without is the electric light. Do you know that even though we've experienced no electricity with our friend Eskom, okay, um, that's still nothing compared to actually having lived in a time where there was no electricity, no electric light. We are so used to, do you know that the electric light has been around for 140 years? And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that is much um, longer than any of us have been alive. So we can't even begin to imagine what it must be like um, to live without the electric light. Do you know that in the same way, it's hard for us to appreciate Jesus's impact on the world because we have no recollection of the world before Jesus. We've never lived in a world before Jesus. Neither have any of our ancestors. You know, so to try and imagine when we read the Bible, up until Jesus' birth, or even up until they realized he was the Messiah, we have no, there, there, there was no Jesus. And to actually imagine what that must have been like, unless you read about him, 
unless you've had a personal um, uh, connection with Jesus, you've had a personal, um, intimate, um, you know, moment where, where, where you've realized who he is, um, unless you've had all of that, unless you've known someone whose life has been truly impacted by Jesus, it's very hard for us to imagine life before Jesus, unless somebody was living without Jesus and then they, um, you know, their life has been radically changed. And I'm sure we can all think of somebody, even ourselves. I think of my own life. My own life has been radically impacted by Jesus. Who I was before I gave my life to Jesus compared to now is like I'm talking about somebody else. That's how impacted our lives are. But we can't imagine. Even our year, 2018, is based on Jesus. Everything we do, our calendar is based on Jesus In John 8, verse 12, Jesus makes a life-changing statement. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Think about that. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Do you know that if you look in the dictionary um, to the definition of the word light, it is something that makes vision possible. We take vision for granted. But do you know that if there was no light, we would not see? We would not be able to see this far in front of us. So without light, we are hopelessly blind. Blind to those around us, blind to our circumstances, blind to our own reflection. We wouldn't even be able to see our own reflection. And light makes it possible for us to see clearly, to see things as they really are. So Jesus saying he's the light of the world, there's quite a lot in that statement if we really think about what light is. Let's take a moment to think about the sun. We tend to take it for granted because it's up there in the sky every day, faithfully rises, makes us very hot in summer, and sets. But the next morning, it's there again. We take the sun for granted. Do you know how amazing the sun actually is? It's 150 million kilometers away from the earth. I can't even think about what a million kilometers is. Never mind 150 million kilometers. It's just under 1.4 million kilometers in diameter. That's a huge amount. Do you know that about 1 million earths can fit into the sun? It's a lot of millions. And the sun is very, 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 very hot. Actually, there aren't enough varies, okay? At the core of the sun, the temperature is 15 million degrees Celsius. So, I mean, the sun is amazing, but again, we take it for granted. We know it's there, it gives light, it gives heat, okay? Without heat and light of the sun, life as we know it would not exist on the earth, okay? But again, we take it for granted, So we take light for granted, we take the electric light for granted, we take the sun for granted, we take the moon for granted, but the moon wouldn't be able to do what the moon does because it reflects the sun. So there's so much to light. So for Jesus to say he's the light of the world, this is a life-changing statement. You know what the world would be like without the sun? It would be cold, dark, and dead. It would just be one of the planets wandering around the universe without life on it. That's what we are like without Jesus. I know for some of you that might be sure, Sue, that's a bit hectic. But 
I'm a testament to that. I was cold and dark and dead spiritually before I found Jesus. And that's what we are without him. And Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of life. So many of, her, of us have heard this statement many, many times, but not a lot of us understand the context of that statement, okay? But you know, um, it comes right after one of the most, most grace-filled stories in the New Testament. So something happens in the Bible with Jesus that is so graceful, it blows your mind. And straight after that, he makes the statement about being the light of the world. And so this morning, what I want to do is I actually want to take us through that story to give you some context. And I've broken the story up into three parts. And this is from John chapter 8, and it's all about the woman caught in adultery. And um, I want to break this story up into three parts, but before I do that, I just want to read the story to you so you can understand, hopefully, once I go through it, what Jesus does to show that he's the light of the world. From verse 1, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Notice how there's no man. The law of Moses, takes two to tango, right? The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into, into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I love the story. It just gives so much about the three points that I'm going to discuss with you now. Number one, the law. Number two, the love. And number three, the light. So if you are taking notes or you're in you version, what does the law reveal? Because they were asking Jesus, the law says she needs to be stoned. The law reveals our guilt. That's what the law reveals. It reveals our guilt. If you go back to John 8, verse 2 to 4, it says... Um, so that, you know, early the next morning, he was back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Um, teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Okay, so let's just stop there and look at what's going on. This woman and man were caught in the act of adultery, okay? I mean, they were probably either both married or he was married, you know, in those days, of course, the man gets away scot-free. It's always the woman's fault. And um, in, I'm talking about in the Bible. I'm not talking about in today's world, okay? No, no, I'm not. I'm saying in those days, 
the women were, were always at, at fault, okay? Um, <laughs> the religious teachers and the Pharisees literally dragged her. Now, we don't, if you're caught in the act of adultery, okay, can I just give you a picture for a moment of how this must have been for this woman? If you're just caught in the act of adultery, number one, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I just want to give you a picture. She could have been naked. Maybe she had a second to grab a sheet and wrap it around her, okay? She's dragged in front of the Pharisees, Jesus, and everybody, and she is thrown out in in, in this crowd, and she is shamed. And her sin, which was real, according to the law, she was guilty. Okay, I'm not saying she wasn't guilty. She was guilty, but she is laid naked and bare, literally and physically, in front of everybody, okay? She's laid out her, her darkest moment of her life is happening right there because she knows what the punishment is. She knows that she is now going to be stoned to death, okay? That is hectic. That is the darkest moment of this woman's life. But then um, John 8, from 5 to 6, we see it says, um, the law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But he bent down and he wrote in the sand. You see, the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to say something wrong. You see, if he said, yes, stone her, then his reputation of being loving would have been smashed to smithereens, okay? If he said, no, leave her alone, then he would have been accused of not obeying the law of Moses. So either way, you know, which way could he go? Stone her? Oh, but Jesus, we thought you're loving. Okay, don't stone her, but what about the law of Moses? So they're trying to trap Jesus into saying something wrong. They really, really wanted to discredit him in front of all the people who were following him and believing in him. Now, I'm going to ask a tough question, and you put your hand up with me, or you can just answer in your heart. It's up to you. But how many of you have ever sinned? Okay. How many of you, according to the Ten Commandments, have told a lie? Okay. How many of you have stolen something that's not yours? How many of you don't have your hand up, but very possibly have one of the pens on our chair in your handbag? Okay, so you keep your hand up for that one. All right. (laughs) Now I'm just teasing. How many of you have ever used God's name in vain? Okay. How many of you have ever looked at someone lustfully? Sorry? Well, the bottom line is we've all sinned. And sometimes what we think is sin, only because it's acted out, we forget that sin starts in our heart, starts in your mind. It's what you do with the sin. It doesn't mean that you don't sin just because you didn't act on it. It's, how, it's what you do with it. It's how you, how you handle the thought that comes in, you know? Okay, so we've all sinned. Until we see ourselves as sinners. I heard Craig Rochelle say this statement, and it has, like, smacked me right, 
right here in my soul, until we see ourselves as sinners, we won't see our need for a savior. We have to acknowledge that we are sinners and it's okay. God knows we're sinners. It's not like he's looking down and going, when did that happen? Why are they acting like that? He knows we're not perfect. He knows we're sinners. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need We need to know that we need a savior. So the law reveals our guilt. According to the law, this woman was guilty. The law says that we are guilty. But the good news is that it doesn't end with the law. Okay, so the second point, the love. What does the love reveal? The love reveals God's grace. John 8 verse 6, they were trying to trap him and get him to say something, you know, to, to um, discredit him. But what does Jesus do? He ignores their questions. Can you imagine the frustration of these Pharisees? They ask Jesus a question. Maybe some of you can relate to this with your kids. And he stoops down in the dust and he starts writing. That's like, hey, I asked you to pack your toys away. Why are you ignoring me? The Pharisees must have been like, I asked you a question. Why, why are you just ignoring me? And he starts writing um, in the sand. And there's a lot of um, uh, theological uh, backing and, and so on that actually believes that Jesus was writing the sins of the Pharisees and the religious teachers in the sand. Like maybe they were having an affair and he's writing in the sand, Rebecca, and that one walks away, and Sarah, and that one walks away. You know, we don't know what what he was doing, but he didn't answer them immediately. He started writing. And then verse 7 says, sorry, let me find it. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. It's so easy to look at others' sin and not see our own. It's easy to pick others apart. Look at that maniac driving like that. Who does he think he is while you're going 18 or 60 zone? You know? Look at the way she spoke about that person. She's such a gossiper. Did you hear what she said to that person? You know? Then we gossip. It's so easy to pull people apart, to see sin in other people. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, it was so easy for them to see the sin in the adulterer. Was her sin real? Yes. Was she guilty? Yes. But so are we all guilty of sin. And it's easy for us to pull apart people that we see rather than looking in the mirror and dealing with our own sin. Then 8 to 11, you see the most amazing thing. He says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Maybe the oldest had more sin, I don't know. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I know that in a crowd this size, some of you have walked in here this morning feeling condemned, feeling judged, feeling doomed, by what you've done. Maybe just feeling hopeless. Like where you find yourself right now is dark. 
and you can't imagine how there could be light there. You can't imagine how Jesus would want to be with you because you feel hopeless. The voice of the accuser, the voice of Satan is very different compared to the voice of our Savior. The accuser will make you feel condemned. After all you did, Susan, how will anyone be able to trust you? After what you said to that person, nobody will ever be able to respect you again. After what you did at work that you know you shouldn't have done, you'll never get promoted. Look at your your parents' marriage and your grandparents' marriage. Your marriage will never amount to anything. That's the voice of the accuser. That's not the voice of God. That's not the voice of our Savior. But our Savior says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, I will give you love, grace, and a chance to change. So you come as you are to the throne, to to Jesus' feet, but he loves you too much to let you stay the same. Was she guilty? Yes. Did she deserve punishment? Yes. It was because of his love that the grace was revealed. We are guilty. We are guilty sinners in the eyes of a holy God. Until we see ourselves as sinners, we will not see our need for a savior. The law reveals our guilt, but God's love reveals his grace. And that is amazing. And then in John 8, verse 11, right? What does he say there? He says, he says to the woman that he doesn't condemn her either. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say to the woman, shame, Betty. You know, I know you've had a tough life. You didn't have a dad. You, you've, you've grown up, you know, really desiring and and craving love and acceptance from a man. And so I understand that every now and again, you need to commit adultery, but try and only do it on Saturdays. He didn't say that to her. You know, he doesn't say to us in our own darkness, he doesn't say to the person struggling with pornography, I understand that it makes you feel a certain way and you just can't not click on that site. So try and only do it once a month. He doesn't say to the person who's stolen something, I know you really needed that thing, but try and steal a cheaper one. You know, he doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, go now, leave your life of sin, walk away, don't hang around, don't keep in contact, don't go to the places that are tempting. You don't have to live there anymore. Go now and sin no more. That's what he says. So he shows his grace. There's the law, then he shows grace, but he says, go and sin no more. So grace doesn't mean that on Sunday I come and ask for forgiveness, and on Monday I do all of that stuff again. It means I keep trying to to defeat the sin with Jesus' help, because we cannot do it on our own. Whenever light shows up, darkness flees because light always overtakes darkness. Always. You need to believe that you can be set free, that you can be changed. The law reveals our guilt. The love reveals God's grace. And the third thing 
is the light, and the light reveals hope. The light reveals hope. How many of you have ever sat in your home when we've just had load shedding, and when those lights come on, it's like you want to throw a party. There's just something about the lights coming back on. It's amazing. The light reveals our hope. In John 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus looked at her and said that he does not condemn her either. And at that moment, Jesus was no longer the light of the world. He became the light of her world. He became the light of her world. Because even though she was guilty and she should have been stoned, his grace was enough to forgive her. And then he asked her to go and sin no more. So he became the light of her world. When he becomes the light of your world, it changes everything. No matter how dark your world seems right now, he's the light and darkness can never defeat the light. The law reveals our guilt, the love reveals God's grace, and the light reveals our hope. And Jesus is saying to us, see what I did in her? I can do in you. I have got light and grace for your emotions, for your job, for your marriage, for your health, for your children. Whatever is feeling really dark right now, whatever you feel like needs the light of the world to come in and shine his light, he's got that for you. I want to do a short little demonstration, and I'm going to need you to all be very calm, okay? And if there are kids here, to just give them a heads up. I'm going to ask them to put all the lights off in the auditorium, okay? And I'm going to explain what's happening as we go along. All right, so just bear with us. I just want to give you a demonstration. Okay. Now, obviously, it's not as pitch dark as it would be, but you cannot see me. My face, I can't see your face. So darkness, imagine if this is how we lived every day. I can't see your intentions. I can't read your emotions. Um, I don't know what's going on. Darkness feels hopeless. When we walk in the dark, a table might seem like something so much bigger, so much scarier. In the dark, you cannot make out what it is. You can't, you, the dark is scary. We don't know as we walk along if you're going to trip over something, if you're going to bump into something. You know, the dark is, it's hopeless. It, it makes you feel really um, bound in chains. Like, I almost feel like if we stayed like this for very long, um, I actually would want to just go to sleep because it would be easier to cope with the dark. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Hasn't that changed the atmosphere already? Just the fact that you can look at the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, it changes the, the environment completely. You can put the lights back on, guys. Thank you. It changes the atmosphere completely. And I know that's just a demonstration, but that's what happens when we allow Jesus to be the light in our world. 
His light brings freedom to our lives. It brings clarity and it reveals the truth. In Psalm 36, verse 9, he says, For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. So how do we experience this freedom? We're talking about being the light of the world. So how do we make Jesus the light of our world? You say, Susan, I am in darkness in this situation. How do I make him the light of my world? We have to let Jesus in. We have to follow Jesus. If we are with Jesus, we don't have to go looking for light. We just have to follow him. And the light is there. How many of you have ever walked in a dark path where the person in front of you has a torch? Are you looking up or are you looking where the light? You're always following the light. But the thing is, is that we have to let him into our lives. Do you know what that word, the definition of let is? It's to permit to enter. Giving permission for Jesus to enter. He's not going to force his way in. For some of you, all you have to do to get out of darkness that you're in is to permit Jesus to enter your life. John 12, 46, it says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark So again, when you look at John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. It's a life-changing verse. But you have to see it for what it is. If you see Jesus for who he is, it says that following Jesus is more than tagging along behind him. It's it's actually um, joining yourself to him. It's being so taken with him that you join yourself to him and you stay connected to him. Remember, we started off the series with John 15, talking about the vine. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we let Jesus be the light in our darkness? We invite him in. We permit him to enter. Then we stay connected to him. And we allow ourselves to grow onto him and to be a branch that flourishes off his vine, that knows the word, knows the truth, know who he says you are, and not who the accuser says you are. That's how you let the light in. But what do we do? We keep our sin hidden. We keep our sin in the dark. When we allow Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, he asks us to bring our sins to the light. In other words, what does that mean? He wants us to confess our sins to him. And you know what happens when you confess? It has much less hold on you. Because in the light, suddenly it seems like, I've I've gotten that off my shoulders. I don't have to allow that to be, to to chain me any longer, to be a bondage in my life. I'm I'm, I'm free of that. I don't have to allow it to, to trap me. And you know, when we start living our lives submitted to Jesus, those chains fall away completely and we begin to live our lives the way that God planned for us, which means living in the light. Once we are living in the light, darkness can never defeat us. Darkness can come knocking. Darkness can try and slide in there. But as long as there's light, the light of Jesus, darkness can never, ever defeat it. 
Jesus, the light of the world, wants to be the light of your world. But you've got to choose to let him in. So I'm going to pray. And if I can just ask you to just in this moment, just close your eyes. And I just want to give you an opportunity while your eyes are closed. If I can just ask you all to close your eyes, please. Father, I pray today that you would do a healing work in our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to be different because we've been with you. I just want you to think right now about what God is saying to you. What is God saying to you in this moment? Maybe some of you are facing darkness right now. And you think, yes, Jesus, I need your light. I need you to come in and shine your light on this situation. Maybe you're feeling like you're in a dark place because of something that you're doing, that you keep finding yourself in this repetitive sin and you don't know how to break it. Maybe you find yourself thinking about the past constantly and you struggle to get those memories out of your mind. You struggle to feel free. Even though you know he's forgiven you, you struggle to believe in that forgiveness. Maybe you're walking around with a heaviness because of what people have said about you or what you've believed about yourself that has caused you to almost become depressed because you've believed a lie that is not from God, but that is from the the accuser. And you need to know who God says you are. Maybe you just need a little bit of light because a little bit of light brings a lot of hope. 